the 20th chapter of 1 Kings. And I want to give you a little assignment this week to read this chapter. And uh, we'll be preaching from a thought from this chapter tonight from a few verses here. But 1 Kings chapter 20. And I'm going to begin reading with verse 22 down through about verse 29. 1 Kings chapter 20 and verse 22. Amen. Do you have it? They're going to put it up there on the screen. Praise God. And it says this, verse 22, And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said to him, Go strengthen thyself and mark and see what thou doest. For at the return of the year, the king of Syria will come up against thee. And the servants of the king of Syria said to him, Notice this, verse 23, Their God, speaking of the gods of the children of Israel, Their gods are gods of the hills. Therefore, they are stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain or in the valley. Surely, we shall be stronger than they. And do this thing, take the kings away, every man out of his place, put captains in their rooms, and number thee an army, like the army that thou hast lost, horse for horse, chariot for chariot, and we will fight against them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. And he hearkened unto their voice and did so. And it came to pass at the return of the year that Ben-Hadad numbered the Syrians and went up to Aphek, to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were numbered and were all present and went against them. And the children of Israel pitched before them like two little flocks of kids. But the Syrians filled the country. Again, God's people outnumbered. And there came a man of God, verse 28, there came a man of God, spake to the the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, Because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but He is not God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And they pitched one over against the other seven days, and so it was that in the seventh day the battle was joined And the children of Israel slew of the Syrians a hundred thousand footmen in one day. Amen. Father, add your blessing to your word tonight. Help us to minister to say what you would have us to say in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. These were bad times when you study these chapters and this uh, background of what's going on here in 1 Kings 20. It was bad times for the people of Israel. They were under the rule of a wicked king by the name of Ahab. And Ahab was guilty of leading the people of God into Baal worship, Ahab and Jezebel. Were guilty of leading the people of God into Baal worship and away from the Lord God, Jehovah. And as a result of their backsliding and falling away from the Lord, as a result of their, of their uh, worshiping of Baal, wickedness, sinfulness, ungodliness filled the land of Israel and they were headed for 
They were headed for a collision course. They were on a collision course with the judgment of God. During this time, Israel was attacked by their neighbor, Syria. And if you'll read this chapter, in that battle, God was merciful and God allowed Ahab, who was a wicked king, God allowed Ahab and the people of Israel to defeat the Syrians and to win the victory over the Syrian army. However, uh, Ahab is notified by a prophet of God that the Syrians do not plan to accept defeat so easily, but that they will return in the following year to fight against Israel again. In this scenario here and in this Syrian army and what the prophet of God said, I see here a picture of our adversary, the devil. I don't know if anybody else can see that or not, but when we win a victory against the enemy, you can count on him to come back to fight against you another day. He never totally gives up and stays away, but he'll always come back for another fight. When Jesus faced Satan in the, in the Mount of Temptation, those 40 days that he was there, and he um, resisted Satan and, and uh, defeated Satan there, and those temptations that Satan brought against him, the Bible said in Luke 4.13 that, that when the devil had ended all the temptation, that he departed from Jesus for a season. In other words, he wasn't staying gone, but he was going to come back again. And that's the desire of the enemy. We need to know about the wiles of the devil. We are not to be uh, ignorant of, Paul said, of his devices, but we're to understand how he operates and how he works. And the desire of the evil one is to see you and I defeated one way or another. How many knows that is true? And he doesn't give up easily. If he doesn't win in one area of your life, he will come back at you again at another season to attack you again. Now, again, I, 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 I don't want to be, I don't want to seem negative here, but we need to be aware of that. We win those victories. I don't think God wants us to, to, to live in, in a total thing where we're just fighting the devil all the time. There are times that when we, we win that battle, he leaves us alone, but he will always come back. There are times that we're on the mountains, but then there are times that we're not on the mountains. And so in, it, this is just the way the Syrian army tried to defeat, defeat the people of God, the children of Israel. But just as the Syrians were defeated and just as Israel experienced victory by the hand of God, I've got some good news for you tonight that we can walk in victory as well over the wiles of the devil and the attacks of the enemy because God is still God. Amen? And God is fighting for you. And God is on our side. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, that ought to make you want to shout just a little bit. But the servants, in verse 23, these Syrians uh, made a very dangerous assumption concerning God. 
And notice what they said in verse 23. It said that the servants of the king of Syria said to him, speaking of, of the children of Israel, he, they said, their gods are gods of the hills. Therefore they are stronger than we are, but let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they are. They make a dangerous assumption here, and the assumption that the enemy makes is that since they were defeated by God's people in that first battle in the hills surrounding Samaria, they just assume that the Israelite God is a mountaintop God only. Now, now listen to me tonight. Their strategy then, the strategy of the Syrians, is to get the Israelites to fight them in the valley where they think that they will easily defeat them. That's their battle plan. That's their strategy. That's what they think. Well, we lost the first battle because we fought in the hills, because their God is a God of the hills, a God of the mountain. But if we can get them in the low place, come on, somebody. If we can just get them down in the valley, then we're sure to be able to defeat them. But you know what? For the Syrian army, that was a very costly assumption because it, it, it was a gamble that the devil makes every time. He, 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 he thinks that when we are, are, if he can get us in that valley experience that we will be easily whipped and easily defeated. Because I'm going to tell you, I think we will all agree tonight that when you're on the mountaintop, when you're walking on the mountain and, in, and just under the spout where the glory runs out, so to speak, you're hard for the devil to handle. You're walking in that victory. You're enjoying the blessing of the Lord. I'm going to tell you, when you've got a shout in your soul and you've got a praise in your heart, you're a force to be reckoned with by the powers of darkness. It's very hard for Satan to defeat a, an excited Christian that's full of the praise and the joy of the Lord. Can I get an amen? Maybe that's why I need Nehemiah said that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The devil knows that if he can take our joy and steal our joy that he's got our strength. Oh, that's why it's so important. That's why when I come to church and I stand behind on this platform and behind this pulpit, I do my best. I want you to leave here with some joy in your heart. No matter what kind of shape you were when you came in, I want you to leave with some joy. I want you to leave with some praise. Praise God. I want to lift you up out of the valley, get you back up on the mountaintop. Come on, somebody. Amen. Woo! Hallelujah. So it's, it's, it's hard for the enemy to defeat an excited Christian. That's the situation that Satan ran into with Job. When he put the squeeze on Job and he attacked Job, he expected Job to turn on God. That was the very thing that, that Satan said that Job would do. However, all the devil was able to extract from Job in those when he stole everything he had, when he afflicted him, when he even killed his family, he was only able to extract some praise. Hallelujah. Because after he lost it all, Job got down on his face and he worshiped God and he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, it's hard for the devil to handle a, an individual like that. Come on, somebody. Amen. But boy, if he can get us down and get us discouraged, he can easily defeat us. 
I've told the little story before. It's a myth. It's not biblical. It's not uh, a scriptural story, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an old myth about the devil's yard sale. You've heard it before where Satan was having a yard sale and he was putting up all of his uh, prized tools for sale. And on the, on, the, on the table at that yard sale, there was a lot of treacherous implements that he had there. Hatred was there and envy and jealousy, doubt, lying, so many different things that Satan used to bring temptation to people and to bring people down. But laid apart from the rest of the pile, there was one tool that looked like it was very well worn. It was a harmless looking tool, but you could tell it had been used quite a bit. And there was a sign on that tool that said, not for sale. That was the only thing that was, that was off limits. And so they asked, the, the, uh, they asked Satan, they said, what's the deal with that tool? What is the name of that tool and why is it not for sale? And the devil told them, said, well, that is my most useful tool. I've used that tool more than I have any other. That's why it's so well worn. And he said, I can't part with that tool because that tool is discouragement. I can't part with that because I have defeated so many people with that tool when I couldn't affect them in any other way, when I couldn't bring them down in any other way. I would use that tool of discouragement. It's a badly worn tool because I use it on everyone. Can I tell you something tonight? That discouragement is still the major tool that Satan uses on God's people today because Satan knows listen to me church Satan knows that when you and I are on the mountain that we're hard to get at but he assumes that if he can get us in that valley if he can get us discouraged if he can get us on that woe is me uh, you know kind of attitude that, that then we will be easier to defeat and sad to say that he has been right in many cases Amen? See, if the devil can get you to focus on the negative aspects of any situation that you're going through, he can get you discouraged. And if he can get you discouraged, he can get you defeated. Can I get an amen? Brother Bob mentioned this morning about Peter focusing uh, his eyes on Jesus. And as long as he focused his eyes on Jesus, he walked through that storm and walked on top of the waves and walked on top of the water. But as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to look at the wind and he began to observe the waves, he began to go down. And that's what happens to so many of God's people in the day and the hour in which we live. There's something very important tonight, saints, that you and I need to know. And that is this. Life is 10% about what happens to us and 90% about how we react to what happens to us. Do I need to say that again? I said life is 10% of what happens to us, but it's 90%. It's about 90% of how we react to what happens to us. And if you develop a woe is me attitude concerning things that come your way, concerning the trials of life, then you are going to be an easy prey for the enemy. But if you can learn, come on now, if you can learn to put into practice Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 through 8, Satan cannot handle you, but you'll have him pulling your, pulling 
his hair out instead of you pulling your hair out. Amen? If you can just do that, listen, you know what that says, Philippians 4. He says, I'm going to read it here from the New Living. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Come on, amen. He goes on to tell us in verse 8 about meditating on the things that are good and the things that are just and the things that are of good report and the things that are praiseworthy. It does make a difference what you focus your mind on. It does make a difference what you sit around and think about and meditate on. And if the enemy can get you to meditate and brood over your problems and get you in that valley and get you discouraged, his, his plan of attack and strategy is if I can get them there, they will be easily defeated. And many times that's the case. Oh, come on. When you're in that valley, when you're down and out, get your, get your head up. Get your eyes on the promise. Get your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Has the devil ever used that tool of discouragement on you? Man, I'll tell you what, he has on me a many a time. And I, 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 I can stand here and say that it has been an effective tool many times in my life. But we have to learn how to overcome those discouraging situations and when discouragement comes our way. If he can just get us off the mountaintop, then we'll be easier for him to handle. That is the assumption that he makes but notice in verse number 28 of that 20th chapter there's an announcement that's made by, by a man of God and it says in verse 28 then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said thus saith the Lord now they're going to get a word from God that's what you need when the enemy's attacking you got to have a word from the Lord amen if you'll spend some time in this book you'll get a word from God that will take care of that situation that you happen to be going through but there was a word that came from God and it said thus saith the Lord here's what God said because the Syrians have said the Lord is God of the hills but he's not God of the valleys notice that this is what the enemy said the Lord is God of the hills but he's not God of the valleys therefore because the enemy has said that therefore I will deliver all this great multitude to your hands and you shall know that I am the Lord See, there was one problem with, the, with that assumption that the Syrians made concerning God. And that problem was this. It just wasn't so. It wasn't true. God was greater than they thought he was. They assumed that he was a God that only could win victories on the hills or in the mountains. But God was greater than that and what they thought he was. They, 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 they greatly underestimated God and his power. So God sends this prophet to tell Ahab that God was going to prove himself to be the God of the valley as well as the God of the mountain. And he assures his people of victory. 
I just want to remind you here tonight in this Sunday night service, I want you to just be reminded that God is bigger than your valley and God is bigger than your problem. I know, I know, I know. I think we all know that it's easier to serve the Lord when we're on the mountaintop, amen? It's easier to serve the Lord. Things are easier when you're excited about the Lord and when everything is going well and you don't have any problems coming your way. However, when we go into one of the valley experiences of life and we're down and things are not working out right and everything seems to be going bad and we're not feeling the presence of God, I want you to know something, ladies and gentlemen. He's still God in that valley situation. He's still God when you can't feel him. Even when I can't feel him, he's working. Even when I can't see him, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. He's the God working for me when I'm on the mountaintop, but he's the God that's still God and still working for me when I'm in the valley. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. He's the same. Hallelujah. He doesn't change. And his power doesn't change either. Come on, amen. Hallelujah. See, if you're in that valley, it doesn't matter what it is. You may be in a valley. We went through. We went through this valley of sickness here just, you know, a few weeks back of physical sickness. And uh, with COVID-19, many in this church went through that same valley. There's many that are going through that still right now. Uh, I don't know of anybody here in the church that has it, but, but other places of the churches that are going through the same thing, people that are sick, physically sick with, 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 with COVID-19, going through that valley of, of sickness and pain. Can I tell you, he's still God. Hallelujah. I said he's still God. I, I remember there, sitting there and leaned back in my recliner, couldn't hardly hold my head up, and I thought, God, why has this happened to us? Why has it happened to everybody in the church? Oh, and, and then the devil's there to perch himself. See, when he gets you in that valley, then he likes to talk to and he says, you know, the church will never recover from this. They're going to blame you for it. It's all your fault. And when you're in that valley, you've got to understand, glory to God, I was too sick to pray. I was too sick to read the word. I, was too, I, I felt so bad I couldn't do anything. But I'm telling you, thank God for his grace and his mercy. Hallelujah. He was there in that valley. Hallelujah. And he brought me out. And he'll bring you out out of that valley tonight. Woo! Glory to God. Amen. I'm trying not to wear out. That valley of demonic oppression, the valley of sorrow, the valley of discouragement, he's still God regardless of what we have to go through. That song we sing, God is God. God don't ever change. God is God and He always will be God. He's God in New York City. Amen? I don't know. They might have kicked Him out of there. Praise God. <laughs> He's God in Tennessee. He's God right here in Farmington. And He's God all over me. Come on. Amen? God is God. And God don't ever change change. He's God when we're up. He's God when we're down. He's God no matter
matter what the devil tries to bring our way, God is still God. Lift your hands and give him some praise. Woo, hallelujah. In every situation of life, Paul said, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Jesus Christ. Victory begins to be realized in our life when we understand that God has promised victory in spite of the circumstances. When everything around us suggests that we should be discouraged, when everything suggests that we should be defeated, God still says, Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Come on, amen. Thank God we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. That genuine spiritual victory is never a matter of that which I'm facing in life. General, uh, genuine spiritual victory is simple faith in the promises of God. Regardless of what I'm facing, no matter what I'm going through, I am victorious not because, listen to me saints, you are victorious, I am victorious, the church is victorious, not because everything is perfect in my life. I'm victorious because God is in control of my life and God has said that we are victorious, amen? So regardless of the situation, I can rest on the promise of Almighty God and what He said in His Word. The battle may be raging, around me but it does not have to rage within me cause I have God on my side no matter what I'm going through Woo! we may be in a battle but Jesus has already won the war come on somebody I'm victorious tonight not because of my circumstances but because of what Jesus did at Calvary. Glory to God. Somebody ought to shout tonight. I'm victorious because at the cross, he defeated the powers of darkness. Jesus did at Calvary. Boy, that makes the devil mad. He don't want to hear that. But Jesus spoiled principalities. He disarmed principalities and powers and made them, made an open show of them and triumphed over them in his death on the cross of Calvary. Satan is your enemy adversary but he is a defeated foe can I get an amen and I'm victorious tonight because Jesus has already won the war we've got to take God in his word we've got to believe what he said in this book he is God in your valley and he gives victory in your valley because he's already won Woo! Come on and give him praise. My Lord, I wasn't going to jump around tonight. But take a breather. I should have took two vitamin C's this morning. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. I'm just glad to be able to preach again. Amen. Look at verse 29. Look at verse 29. It says this. 
And they camped opposite each other, talking about Syria and the children of Israel. We read it there when we read the text that the people of Israel were like two little flocks of goats, two little flocks of sheep. And the Syrians were a multitude, an army of a multitude. So again, how many times when you read the Word of God, all through the Bible, the people of God are always the underdogs? Huh? Always the underdogs. They're always, I'm always rooting for the underdog. Are you? Anybody else ever do that? And I'll tell you what. I believe God's always rooting for the underdog too. Amen? And they're always, God's people are always outnumbered. And it always looks like that they're not going to make it through. That they're going to be defeated. That's the way it always looks. I think God just likes to get to, to put his people in that position just to let the devil think that he's got them this time so he can show up and just defeat the enemy and bring, God, bring, bring the people of God out to victory. And that's what he does. That's the way he works. So you never want to give up because God's never late. He's always, always on time. Amen? So they're outnumbered again. And said they encamped opposite each other for seven days. And so it was that on the seventh day, the battle was joined and the children of Israel killed 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day. Wow! See, that was a miracle from God. Israel believed God. How did they win this victory? How did they win it? Because God had given a word to the man of God that came to them. I read it to you. Amen? And said, thus saith the Lord, because the enemy has thought that they could get you in the valley and whoop you in the valley, I'm paraphrasing, but because the enemy thought that, that was their assumption, I'm going to give you victory right there in the valley over the enemy. Praise God. That'd make, a, that'd make an Egyptian mummy shout right there. Come on. Amen. They, they enjoyed a tremendous victory there. They saw their enemy put to flight. How? By the power of God working through them. It wasn't, there wasn't any way that that little army, like two little flocks of kids, two little flocks of sheep, it wasn't any way they could defeat this mighty Syrian army. But God God and His power were working in them. It's still, ladies and gentlemen, it's not by might. It's not by our power, but it's by God's Spirit, says the Lord. Amen? God wants us to come to that place tonight where we realize that He's God regardless of what we're facing. He wants us tonight, and I believe this is the thing He's trying to get us to do, is to get our eyes off of our problem, off of our need, off of our circumstances, and get our eyes squarely in the face of Jesus like Peter did get our eyes squarely on the Lord Jesus Christ that, that old hymn you know says that old song says turn your eyes upon Jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow greatly dim in the light of his glory and grace when you're focused on him everything else fades away and it doesn't matter the storm that's raging around you can still walk on the water hallelujah and be victorious glory to God hallelujah Woo! you see 
He's still God. Regardless of what we think about the situation, He's still God. There is where, this is where, victory is enjoyed in our life. Notice this. This is where victory is enjoyed. Notice I didn't say this is where victory is won because the Lord Jesus has already won our victories for us. It's already a done deal, amen? We, we, we're not fighting from a place of defeat trying to gain the victory. Jesus has already obtained the victory. We are in joy. We're, we're to, to, to walk in that victory, to, to uh, appropriate that victory by our faith. See, we live in defeat and discouragement because because we refuse or, or neglect to embrace the victory that Jesus has won by our faith. Are you hearing me? We've got to exercise our faith. No matter what you're going through, you've got to praise the Lord. Well, Brother Rick, I don't have anything to praise God for. You praise Him because He has already won the victory. No matter how it looks in my life, I am going to embrace the victory of Calvary, claim the victory of Calvary, and believe God for that victory to be manifest in my life. Amen. Victory is available to you and I as children of God all the time, in every situation, for every believer. It's available. It's there for us. Jesus has already obtained it. So the question would be, people would ask, well, then why don't more, more, more Christians or most Christians have that victory in their life? Why do so many Christians, Bible-believing, blood-bought Christians, why do so many of them live in and walk in defeat in their life? I think, I think the main reason is this. Either they don't know it's an ignorance of the word. They don't know what Jesus has provided for them through the cross. They don't know it or else they fail to appropriate it by faith. I think I said this Wednesday night. I may have been in a prayer service yesterday, but the blessings of God, the benefits that Jesus provided at the cross are not just going to fall on us just automatically, like ripe cherries off the tree. But we have everything we get from God, everything we receive from God, we receive from God through our faith and through believing Him. Amen? Well, Brother Rick, I don't see it or I don't feel it. See, that doesn't make any difference. Did Jesus do it? Did He do it? Amen. See, I'm convinced of this tonight, folks, that everything that Jesus purchased for us and provided in His atoning sacrifice on Calvary belongs to us 
And we can have those benefits. We must have those benefits. Jesus died for us to have those benefits. And victory, a victorious Christian life, life more abundantly. He said, I I came that you might have what? Uh, Just barely make it by? Just squeak through? No, he said, I came that you might have life and have life more abundantly. That abundant life, not talking about wealth and riches and luxury and all that, but he's talking about a life that is lived in abundance, an abundant life of victory, a victory over sin, a victory over the powers of darkness. Hallelujah, walking and living in that victorious life where the enemy, he can come in, he can try his best, but he cannot defeat you. Victory over sin, victory over the works of darkness, victory over oppression and the oppressive forces of hell. Praise God, Jesus died for that. Amen? And everything that he died on that cross for you to have that's in the atonement, that's in the atoning work of Christ is yours, but you have to exercise faith. You're going to have to lay claim to it. It's like that promised land. It was given to them. The land of Canaan was theirs, but they had to go over in there, and they had to drive out the enemy, and they had to possess their possession, and God told Joshua, every place, every place you put your foot. you got to go in and possess what is yours, what's been provided and what's been promised. You can't roll over and play dead. You may be in the valley but you got to get up and say praise God. He's the God of the valley and he'll give me victory. <laughs> Woo! Praise the Lord. Man, I wish I could just preach a just calm little. <laughs> hey, man. We must be like other Bible believers who knew that God had given them victory in spite of the circumstances. What about little David? <laughs> uh, I got I to close. Well, it's early yet. Praise God. (laughs) What about little David? Little teenage boy comes out there to bring some cheese and crackers to the army, to his brothers who are in Saul's army. And the, the, uh, the army of Israel's on one side and the army of the Philistines on another side. There's a valley down the middle and that big Goliath, that big giant of a man, 10 foot tall, 10 foot tall. That's tall as a basketball goal. Man, he could make it in the NBA pretty easy, couldn't he? And all of the armies was afraid of him except David. When David come down and heard him defy, heard Goliath defy the armies of Israel, he said, who is this guy? This uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of Israel. David knew that he had God on his side. And when he went down there to fight against Goliath, he said to Goliath, you know, Goliath was, was, was railing on him and making fun of him and saying, man, am I a dog? They send a little kid, a little squirt like you out here to fight with me. All David's got's a slingshot and five smooth stones he picked up out of the brook. And he shepherds back, that's all he's got. 
This big old giant Goliath has got armor from his head to his feet. He's got a, a sword. He's got a spear. He's got a shield. He's got an armor bearer. There ain't nobody going to defeat him. And here's a little shepherd boy out there that has five stones and a slingshot and faith in God. Are you hearing me? I said, and faith in God. Hallelujah. And he, he's making fun of David. And David says to that giant, he said, listen, you come to me with a sword and a spear. But he said, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies that you have defied this day. Here's what David said. Hey, big boy. Hey, this day the Lord is going to deliver you into my hand. Hallelujah. He said, this day I'm going to take your head off of you because he said, the battle is not mine, but the battle is the Lord's. Hallelujah. And he's going to give you into our hands. See, that's the kind of faith that we need even when we're in the valley even when we're facing insurmountable odds and in impossible situations that is the kind of faith that will appropriate the promises of God and bring victory in your life amen the devil has and is using that tool of discouragement on all of us in these days that we've been through in 2020 it's been a difficult year it seems like this has been a year of more valleys than mountains. We felt defeated many times, and it seemed that God was a million miles away and that we were a long way from the mountaintop. But I want to remind you in closing tonight, just one more time, that God is God when you're on the mountain and God is God when you're in the valley. He's the same when you feel His presence. When you're in a Holy Ghost service like we had this morning, presence and the power of God moving and people worshiping and rejoicing and the Holy Spirit falling on us like rain, He's God then. But He's God when you're in that valley and the oppressive forces of darkness are coming against you. And when you understand that and when you declare that and when you know who you are in Christ and what He has done for you and you believe that, I'm telling you, you stand on that, you're going to be a hard nut for the devil to crack. Come on, somebody. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He won't be able to handle you. He can't handle a Christian that'll have that kind of out looking attitude. Peter said this in 1 Peter 5, 7. He said, casting your care upon him for he cares for you. Every care, every concern, we got to cast it on the Lord. Cast your burden. David said in Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. If we'll just learn how to take that burden and cast it on the Lord and leave it there by faith, and trust Him to be God. A.A. Allen, his tent meetings, many of the recordings that I listened to in the past, I can remember years ago as a, as a young Christian listening to those, and there was a song that he would sing a lot in those tent meetings. It said, leave it there, leave it there. Wished I could sing, I'd sing it. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you'll trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord 
and leave it there. He's concerned about you tonight. He cares for you affectionately. He cares for you watchfully. He's the Lord, your shepherd, and He's going to take good care of you. Just trust Him and believe Him when you're on the mountain or even when you're in the valley. Because the valley, listen, the valley doesn't last forever. Amen? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. We're passing through the valley. It's only temporary. But on the other side of that valley is another mountain top experience and the blessings of God. I can't wait to get through this year. Amen. I can't wait to see. Oh, come on. I can't wait to see what's on the other side of this valley, Sister Denise. There is something. God's got some big plans. Devil, look out. You just will get behind me and get out of my way because God has got some big plans for your life, for our life. Just remain faithful. Cast those cares upon Him because that God on that mountain is God in that valley. And that God in that valley is bringing you back to that mountain top of victory. Amen? Praise God. Bow your heads with me tonight. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you so very much.